So I was feeling some warmth and then it disappeared and then I felt some warmth again and then it disappeared and then I felt some warmth again. And at that moment, I realized that there was more to Moxa than the heat. It was actually the fact that she was delivering it so fast and there was a rhythm, there was a cycle to it. It was warm, cool, warm, cool, warm. I'm Michael Max and this is Geological. One of the most interesting things to me about acupuncture is how it has a curious systemic effect on a person. Years ago when I first had acupuncture myself, I signed up for a second treatment because I got up off the table thinking, holy smokes, what was that? Like a nice, long, fresh drink of cool water when you've been thirsty and parched, I wanted more of that. And it wasn't that my main issue cleared up right away. It didn't. But what did happen was other things, other issues in my life that I didn't even realize were issues, those things started to change. As an acupuncturist, you're well aware of how this goes. We actually expect to see these kinds of broader systemic changes. And indeed, that is in large part why a person's chief concern gets better. Because the environment of the organism, it's different. We expect to see systemic change in people. And I don't know about you, but I've way too many times lost track in the main reason why someone came to see me because that so-called main complaint they came in with is now just one item on an ever-expanding list. I can remember being in acupuncture school and first starting to get that glimpse of how a number of seemingly unrelated issues in a patient were actually connected. I imagine there was one needle that could somehow touch them all. And you know, sometimes there is. But I'm also aware that people often come to acupuncture with unreasonable expectations. It's helpful in our clinical work to know specifically what brought someone into your office. This really helps to put the kibosh on those situations like my headaches are gone, but now I'm stressed about my work situation. It's really important for both our patients and ourselves to recognize when there's been some progress and when something's been taken care of. And it's all too human to forget about something that used to bother you. We have a very difficult time being attentive to something that's absent in our experience. So keep in mind the main thing that brought someone into your practice. It's kind of like a North Star for keeping you and the patient oriented. And it also allows for a clear benchmark to gauge the progress that you're making. Here's another thing. Sometimes people will want to come see you because they like how acupuncture makes them feel. And they think they have to have something wrong with them for them to come in and see you. And so sometimes we get these stories like, I've been doing fine, but in the past few days, well, fill in the blank, some kind of thing that had gone wrong. Or they manufacture some small something into a major thing. Sometimes these are the people we can release from treatment because they're in such a different place from when they first walked into our office. Or perhaps they need permission. They need to know that it's okay to get acupuncture simply because it feels good. Not unlike getting a massage or taking a day at the beach or even a small vacation or a well-cooked meal. You don't have to be broken to enjoy and benefit from acupuncture. But most folks don't know that. And so they'll spin up a story of brokenness instead of doubling down on things are going well. So make sure you have one thing that the patient has identified as a problem because it helps to keep everyone honest. And if they are there for, as the Chinese like to say, tiao li, to adjust and harmonize, 
Remember, you're not giving them a tune-up like you would an automobile. You're attending to them as you would a fine musical instrument. How does acupuncture work? There's a principle that everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. It's easy to say that acupuncture works by moving energy in the channels, or moving oxygen in the blood vessels, or reducing inflammation, so on and so forth. But are those common responses too simple? An effective answer would be both accurate and crafted to resonate with the audience who's asking the question. And it ought to reflect both the Chinese medicine tradition and modern findings. In a moment, we're going to be getting into our conversation on monk Sebastian. And this is more than a conversation simply about applying heat. It's about a kind of touch that is a blend of rhythm, warmth, and with an eye to the channel dynamics that Yoshio Monika, that great Japanese master, talked about in his book, Chasing the Dragon's Tail. I don't use much moxa in my practice, as I have sensitive lungs that can't really tolerate a smoky environment, but this percussive bamboo method we're going to be talking about today has me really curious to try it. All right, friends, let's get into this conversation today with Oren Kivity on Moxa in Motion. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi 
and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride, knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Orkaviti, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, we're all over the world. You're Correct me if I'm wrong. I know you've been traveling. You're in Malaysia right now. Is that correct? That's where I live and work, yes. You live and work in Malaysia. Where are you from originally? I'm from London, from the disunited kingdom. The disunited and... kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved here about 14 years ago. Uh, so I was practicing acupuncture in the UK. And now I'm practicing acupuncture in Malaysia. Whatever took you to Malaysia from the UK? Um, the grass was greener. <laughs> well, I'm one of these people who really hates cold weather and monochrome skies. And the UK has that in spades. Ever since I studied in China, I would, I would go to Asia every year. And I just love the weather. I love blue skies and warm climate and heavy rain. And, and I, I like not getting cold except when I put the aircon on. So it was all kind of climatic for me. And the food's probably better too, isn't it? The food's wonderful. It's funny, when I go back to UK now and I try Asian food in the UK, I can't bear it. <laughs> it's like, really? You think this is good? <laughs> so I've become a real food snob. Yeah, it, it, it's hilarious. People here in St. Louis ask me, so where do I go for Chinese food? Where's the best place for Chinese food? And I say, my house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly that's the authentic stuff all right well the reason that we're getting together today is that, well i always like just talking to people that are doing interesting things with uh, our east asian medicine you have a thing for moxa and and now i understand why you've got a thing for moxa because you don't like cold and you don't like gray and you know moxa is kind of the opposite of that isn't it yeah it's it's hot <laughs> it's hot <laughs> I would love to know more about the moxa that you do. When I was in acupuncture school, of course, we learned to light up those big stinky cigars of moxa and hold it on points. And that never worked for me, mostly because my lungs just couldn't tolerate being in a room with that kind of smoke. When some Japanese teachers came in and began to teach us 
right screen moxa and and some other ways of thinking about using moxa it was it was really mind blowing to me because it was such a different kind of thing and seemed like such a different way of thinking and working. How did you gravitate into this moxa thing? For the first ten years of my career, I was I was practicing Chinese acupuncture and I was using a moxa stick, just as you described. And I was slicing bits off the moxa stick and sticking it on the end of the needles and doing warm needle technique. That was pretty much I was doing salt in the navel and putting moxa on the navel or on slices of ginger. So very much a kind of TCM approach to moxa. I think I'd been working for about 10 years and I got introduced to Japanese teachers, in particular Stephen Birch and Shunko Ida. And I studied Manica uh, style acupuncture with those. And I started to learn just exactly what you've been talking about, rice grain moxa and uh, cone moxa, uh, large cone moxibustion, and kind of much more subtle approaches to moxibustion. It's the 10th anniversary, really. I think it was in August 2009 that I was in an acupuncture shop in Tokyo, and I got introduced to something which at that time was called short bamboo, tantake. It's just really a short piece of bamboo about um, the size of your thumb, the, the two joints of your thumb, about four or five centimeters long, and it's uh, filled with moxa. And you use it as a mobile moxa device. And you can, you can use it like you do with a moxa stick. You can brush it up and down in the air above the point. But the thing that's amazing about it is that you can press down with it and you can press into the muscles with it. And that gives it a very different kind of feel. As soon as I saw it, it was love at first sight. And I'll talk about why maybe later in the interview, because it had been the thing that I had I, I'd been on a quest for. I've been looking for something that could deliver heat and press. You know, isn't it interesting that in our studies, in our sort of exploration of medicine, I had a similar thing with, with other aspects of the medicine where you've got this idea that there could be something like, and you can't even quite put words onto it. There's just, you just have this hunch. There's something you're kind of looking for. And then when it shows up, it, it's like a bell goes off in your head and you go, that, that's the thing I've been looking for. I knew it existed. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, exactly. It just, this whole thing, bunch of ideas fell into my head in that instant that they first showed me this piece of bamboo and I've started to develop a whole method with it and which is kind of I guess what I'm well known for is kind of being I mean now we don't call it short bamboo we call it on take which means warm bamboo take means bamboo on is the same on that you hear when you talk about Japanese onsen like warm baths so on take means warm bamboo and uh, I've developed something kind of a, a bodywork approach using warm bamboo. Well, I want to hear more about that. But before we do, what are the dynamics here? You're talking about, so I'm imagining in my mind, this short piece of bamboo about the size of my thumb. So what's the deal? Is it like filled with moxa? Is it on fire? I mean, how do you like not set yourself on fire with this thing? Basically, it's a hollow tube. So you pack that hollow tube with moxa. With loose is it hollow? So it's hollow on both ends. Yes, that's right. It's just okay. like a, it's like a little, a, a tiny little telescope. You pack moxa into that, so you press it from both sides until it's about maybe three or four millimeters from the end. That's the way I do it. Anyway, the Japanese tend to use a little bit more gap 
uh, so they they pack it further from the end so that it's not so hot. But uh, I found that I, I like to control the heat through rhythm and the way I apply it rather than having it far away from the the end, the mouth of the bamboo. Are you also a musician? Well, uh, I wouldn't say I am a musician, but I have been one in my teens and 20s. I played in bands and my hobby was DJing for a long time. Uh, and that might, I think I kind of discovered DJing more or less around the same time I discovered Ontake. There's just something in the way that you said the, you control the heat with the rhythm. And I was like, oh, I wonder if this guy's a musician. I wonder if there's, I mean, it sounds like there's a musical aspect to this work. There is. And I, I guess I could talk about it in many ways. Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, I was the model during a manica class that Junko Ida was running. So she was demonstrating small cone moxibustion. Now, some of you, your listeners will be familiar with small cone moxibustion. You, you get a cone of moxa more or less the size of half a grain of rice and you wet the skin and you stick it on. So it looks like a grain of rice sticking upside down vertically and you light it. And it smolders away, it flares up, smolders away, and before it gets too hot, you remove it. Some people like to let it burn all the way down, but usually people burn it to about 80%. And then you take it away. At the same time, you've rolled another one with your left hand, and you pinch it off, and you stick it on the same place, and you light it. Some people can be very fluent as they do that, and Junko Ida is exceptionally fluent. So I was feeling some warmth, and then it disappeared, and then I felt some warmth again, and then it disappeared, and then I felt some warmth again. And at that moment, I realized that there was more to Moxa than the heat. It was actually the fact that she was delivering it so fast, and there was a rhythm, there was a cycle to it. It was warm, cool, warm, cool, warm, cool. So it was cyclical. Now, if you think about big cone moxibustion, where you get a cone about the size of your thumbnail and you stick that on the skin and you light it and you wait for the patient to say, oh, it feels warm, then there's also a cycle, isn't there? So you light it, it burns down much more slowly, and then they say, oh, I can feel it, and you do the same thing. Now, imagine the technique we were talking about earlier with a moxa stick, your sparrow pecking. So sparrow pecking is going hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, because you're moving your hand quite fast. You're sparrow pecking. So common to all moxibustion is this idea of a cycle or a rhythm or a frequency. And the frequency changes depending on what modality you're using. It occurs to me that there's something else going on here, which is there's a kind of attentiveness of the practitioner if you're just sitting there waving a, you know, sparrow pecking a big old moxa stick, that's, I mean, you could be thinking about a million other things. But if you're doing that rice grain moxa with that kind of focus, the practitioner is engaged in a very, very different way. I think that's true. But are you being unfair to people with moxa sticks? <laughs> I mean, when I was using a moxa stick, I was always kind of sparrow pecking and kind of being very attentive to the temperature of the skin and the color of the skin. and um... I, th I think I'm talking more about myself ah, okay. uh, in, the, in the use of moxa, that, that when I'm doing rice grain moxa, it requires a lot more focus and attention. 
than using that that big stick. And in fact, I haven't used a big stick moxa in a long time, and that's mainly because my lungs are a bit weak. And and that kind of moxa smoker, like lots of needle moxa, I could do it for a short amount of time. But it, you know, I want to be an acupuncturist for a long, long time, and a lot of smoke in my environment is not going to let me do that. Mm, understood. Yeah. So, so I do have a bias against big smoky moxa things, but that, I mean, it's a very physical reaction. When I first learned Japanese acupuncture, particularly I learned Manica style acupuncture, and there are kind of various stages to the treatment. And one of them is doing a warm needle technique in Japanese kutoshin uh, on the back. So you, you stick a bunch of needles in on the back and then you put um, a kind of fairly high grade moxa on the end of the needle not a kind of sliver of a moxa stick, but you use a, a different kind of um, what's called medium-grade moxa in Japan. Mm-hmm. And you like make um, a little ball and stick it on there. That's right. And because it's very it's very fine quality moxa, it's not going to fall off or kind of fall down the needle shaft onto the skin. It's just going to stay there and kind of plump. At that time, uh, it was it was kind of winter in the UK, and I started to get a smoker's cough because my room was so stuffy and of course we kept the windows closed and it was really cold and I had the central heating on and then I said to the clinic look I'm getting smoker's cough from all this moxa so they very kindly put one of those toilet fan extractors on the window so every time I did moxa I just clicked the switch and it would suck the smoke out which was great it really helped Um, so I think that if you're doing a lot of that kind of moxa then you need to have proper ventilation in your room I absolutely understand where you're coming from when you say you, you don't like those things. So back to the moment of epiphany that you had with rhythm. Yeah. One of the things that's very interesting about Dr. Manica is he developed something called Dr. Manica's wooden needle and hammer. I mean, there are actually traditions of tapping on acupuncture points. Uh, there was a, a Japanese tradition called Mubun Ryu, Uh, I think in the 16th century, but Stephen will probably correct me, Uh, 16th century Japan, where they had a kind of very blunt gold probe and a little wooden mallet, and they tapped on points on the abdomen. So looking for kind of strange reactions and just tapping on them until they released. And that was the whole style. But Dr. Manica kind of adapted that. He developed this very much cheaper (laughs) wooden needle and hammer, uh, which looks like a kind of kid's toy. And he started tapping on acupuncture points with that. But he had always been interested in frequencies and trying to understand different frequencies in the body. So he worked with sound and he worked with um, an oscilloscope and trying to kind of map out different ideas. He was very much a researcher. And one of the things he got into uh, researching was if there were specific frequencies that released different meridians. So frequencies of beats per minute. And he developed very interesting treatments using a metronome and his wooden needle and hammer. I took to these treatments like a fish. I mean, I, I love Manica's book. The first time I looked at it, I saw it in a bookshop and I could open it up and I said, oh, that looks really scientific. And I put it back and ran out of the shop. <laughs> but um, when I met Stephen, Stephen kind of broke it down into bite-sized chunks. And then when I read it, it was like a white knuckle ride. It was the best book I'd ever read in my life. It was just, it was better than Robert Ludlum. I was just, it was a page turner. I was reading it in bed. I was reading it on the bus. I was reading it in between patients. I just couldn't put it down. Uh, 
So he talks about these meridian frequencies that he developed, and he developed very interesting treatments using them, particularly using meeting points like Do14, Dajue. So he he would tap at different frequencies at this point because it's the meeting point of six yang channels and and the Do Mai. Super influential. Yeah. He gives an example of a woman with knee pain. The pain was on the stomach channel. So he went to do 14 with his wooden needle and hammer and started tapping at stomach frequency at do 14 and then got, got her to move her knee and then her knee started to feel better. But she said, oh, the pain's moved to the side a bit. She said, oh, okay, that's on gallbladder channel. Let me change the frequency of the metronome. Now I'm going to tap on do 14 at gallbladder frequency, uh, 120 beats per minute. And then she said, oh, the pain's gone now. So he, he developed these really remarkable treatments um, and I've used them for a long time with the wooden needle and hammer, but it was after I was always looking for a Moxa device that could deliver heat in the same way because of my experience of moxibustion being cyclical. Okay. I see where this is coming together now. Yeah. So, so you see this little bamboo thing and you go, there it is. Yeah. Because I've been using a Moxa stick with a metronome. And a Moxa stick's great, but it doesn't have any of the percussive qualities of Dr. Manica's hammer. So Dr. Manica's hammer's got this percussive striking effect. It's sending a shockwave through the skin or through the soft tissue. A Moxa stick doesn't have that, but it's sending heat in a wave on the surface of the skin. So I was just thinking, what you know, I just wanted something, but I didn't know what it was. But as soon as I felt that bamboo on my skin in the shock, it's just, there it was. that's it. There, there it was. Was. This is, yeah, I didn't know this is what I was looking for, but this is it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, life is generally full of so much suffering and heartbreak. It's wonderful when we do have these moments. I, I think they're rare in our life, but moments like you just described where something comes together and it's like, wow, there it is, right? And, and a whole world of possibility now opens up yeah that's what happened i i mean that eureka moment i i i I took that piece of bamboo back to malaysia i was renting a house at that time this is back in 2009 yeah there was a little maid's room that i at the back that i'd converted into a clinic room and i just started working with bamboo and the first thing i noticed was that it was much more powerful than Dr. Manica's wooden wooden needle and hammer, that the kind of soft tissue release that I could get would usually take five or 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, Whereas, you know, when you do massage, you can be working on someone's trapezius for 15 minutes and still not get that kind of release. But with bamboo, it's just like click, 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 soften, move on. Okay, so I need some help. You just described a patient that I'm having trouble with. I've got a woman with trapezius muscles that are just, I mean, I've been doing all the stuff that usually works. I got a few tricks up my sleeve and they usually work. I'm getting nowhere with her. Could you walk me through if I had one of these? I'm I'm imagining a piece of bamboo that looks like, you know, you play a slide guitar with in a way, right? Yeah, very similar to that. Maybe a little bit thicker, but it's kind of almost exactly like that. Just 
Slightly, maybe the boar is a little bit more than something that you would rest around your finger. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Could you walk me through how I would, like, load one of these things up and... Sure. Okay, so you're going to get your piece of bamboo. This piece of bamboo is going to be uh, sanded down at either edge so that it's got a kind of rounded lip if you if you're going to a garden center and you get your own piece of bamboo and you cut it you're going to have to finish it as well um, you can use a metal rasp to do that just so that it's not too sharp when you press it right. on the skin do i do i want to work with like fresh bamboo or can i find dried bamboo is there a oh, i think it should be it should be dried it should be dried um, okay yeah, because you're going to be heating it up and, you know, you want it to have lost its fluids already. So the kind of stuff you would get from a, a garden center would be perfect because it's already dried. Yeah, so then you're going to stuff uh, moxa into it and hopefully your moxa is a relatively good quality, not too green, but slightly yellow uh, so that it doesn't have a lot of twigs and particulate matter that are going to fall out. Is there a particular name or grade number, or, I mean, if I wanted to like go buy some of this kind of moxa, what would I be asking for? I think in the U.S. you can easily get hold of a brand. It's called Wakaksa, but it's spelled Wakakusa, W-A-K-A-K-U-S-A, Wakakusa, but it's pronounced Wakaksa. A lot of acupuncture shops will carry that, and that's perfect for your bamboo. If you get that green stuff from China with all the little bits of twig in it, that's not really good because when you put the bamboo facing with the mouth facing on the skin, you run the risk of bits dropping out and burning your patient. You want to invest in a good quality moxa. It's kind of like if you're doing needle moxa. You need, yes. a, you need a moxa that's going to stay together, hold together. Yeah. Yeah. So any moxa that's good enough to do needle moxa is easily good enough for your bamboo. Okay, great. I can handle those two pieces. I mean, I'm, I'm very Western. When I was in the shop, they lit an incense stick and they dabbed it down onto the soft portion of the, of the moxa inside the bamboo and they blew on it like they were blowing, you know, gracefully. And gradually kind of the fire spread and it eventually the whole thing was glowing. Me, I use one of those um, jet lighters that you use for creme brulee. Oh. I just like it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not very zen as far as on tech is concerned. I, I, you know, I love it. I, I prefer the uh, strong firepower myself when it comes to flame. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. I mean, how much am I getting burning? What is? What am I looking at? You're looking at a little kind of um, thumbnail piece of bamboo, and one end of it is red hot and glowing on the inside. But the wood itself feels warm. If you press the side of the bamboo onto your neck, it should just feel warm. If you press the mouth of the bamboo onto your neck, then if you touch it lightly, it will feel very comfortable, like hot, but comfortable. If you leave it there, it will start to feel very uncomfortable. So don't leave it there. Don't leave it there. (laughs) Now, how far away is the moxa from the the mouth of this piece of bamboo because i'm imagining if i press in you know heat heat side in i mean you, you could easily touch the skin if you weren't careful um it's about three millimeters away from the lip only three millimeters yeah okay okay so that means that if you're doing on take on convex protruding surfaces like the chin the nose uh, to die for cheekbones, then you've got to be very careful. You can't put the mouth on those kind of protruding surfaces, you know, the lobe of the ear. But anything else you can. And you can use the side of the bamboo. What's lovely about it is you, you can use the side for rolling and you can use the mouth for kind of standing on points or just touching, tapping very lightly. Or you can use the lip to press into joints like around the elbow or the knee or the jaw. So it, kind of every aspect of, is, is very useful. Every, every side, every part of the bamboo can be used. Okay. I, I can see that in my mind's eye. Okay. So you've got someone who has got stiff shoulders. Trapezius that is just locked up. Right. She's been a hairdresser for 35 years and it's catching up with her. Okay. Can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do do you do abdominal palpation? I would say infrequently. It, if there's an issue that makes me think the abdomen might be involved, I'll go check. But mm. uh, okay. it, it's something that I used to do on a more regular basis, but I've kind of fallen away from it. I'm happy to go back to it if if uh, you got some pointers for me. Okay, I would just check whether her belly feels cold or not. As I've been using on take, I've kind of taken its historical use a little bit further than how it was used in Japan. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Okay. So in Japan, uh, it was used very much as a local moxibustion tool. So if someone's got shoulder pain, you do bamboo on their shoulder. If someone's got pain on the knee, then you do bamboo around the knee. So it's just kind of was used as a, a branch tool and kind of very simply Uh, And it wasn't really a very popular tool in Japan. It was kind of little known. Um, There was a guy called Yamashita had written about it in the, probably in the seventies. So, I mean, it's not been around for a long time, um, maybe less than 50 years. Manika had all kinds of interesting theories about acupuncture. And one of the things he said is that if you draw a line at the level of the navel, uh, a horizontal line going around, which is like the daimai, then you divide the body into two halves, which superior and inferior. And then if you draw a line down the midline where the renmai and the dumai are, you, you divide the body into two halves, left and right. 
And then if you think about the Yang Wei Dai, which is the median line on the side of the the side of the body, then you're dividing the line, uh, the body again into two halves, front and back. Mm -hmm. So he thought very much that the eight extras create an octahedral structure in the body, four anterior halves or four anterior quadrants and four posterior quadrants. Does that make sense? It almost sounds like you've drawn a bagua. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just just if you imagine someone facing you, you've drawn, you just draw a, a crosshair on their yes. belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've, got, and you've got four quadrants, right? And then you turn them around and you draw a crosshair at L two, uh, just below L two. Then you've got another four quadrants, so eight in total. If someone has a lot of pain at the trapezius, then the upper two quadrants uh, at the back. A very excess. So I would be drawn immediately to look at the two quadrants that are inferior and anterior. To see if uh, they're deficient. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you need to do. You find someone's got a really cold belly. You just kind of tap around with bamboo until it feels really warm. And then you ask them to see how the shoulders are. So you can treat, you can work theoretically like that. But I think that what you were really asking me is how would I, how do I treat trapezius kind of as a local branch tool? Well, I was asking how do I treat that issue, and you just gave me a wonderful way of looking at it in a very sort of holographic way. I mean, treating locally is treating locally. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty simple stuff. But what you just described looking at the system as a whole and how excess in one place can show deficiency in another and how you know to look for those relationships. That, that's the kind of thing for me that makes acupuncture so completely fascinating because we can work distal to where a problem is, get tremendous effects. And people, you know, their eyes get really wide. They're like, that was magic. What the hell was that? And it's like, well, that, this, is, this is acupuncture. This is how acupuncture works. I mean, these, these ideas are really not unique to Japanese acupuncture or to Dr. Manica because um, people, uh, your, your listeners who practice uh, or are influenced by Dr. Tan's balancing system or Master, Master Tung's system, left treats right, front treats back, upper treats lower. So these are very basic kind of um, yin-yang polarities. And the more of them that you can deploy when you're treating, the better. Some people will say you should never treat locally. You should always treat distally. And some people will say the opposite. They said you should always treat locally. You should never treat distally. So I think a lot of the time you need to find the right way to employ. Uh, for me, I, I sometimes I love to treat locally with Ontake because it feels so good. For other cases, I love to treat distally in the way I've just described because it works so well. One of the things that I love about this kind of thing is it helps us to better understand what's actually going on for our patients, right? I mean, maybe her problem is in truth coming from a kind of deficiency of yang, you know, deep in the belly. She's also had hot flashes for a long time, long time. I mean, she's well past menopause. And it's something that we've been working on. And, and so when I, so now I'm like super curious, I'm going to go check her belly. Cause if it's cold, then we're also looking at a situation here 
where there's deep deficiency, the yang is floating. Wow, if I could just bring that yang back, then it's a two for one. Shoulders loosen up. She stops sweating at night. Of course, the problem then is she's going to send all her friends to me. and, and... <laughs> Oh, that'll be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you might find she has cold feet as well. I mean, in, in, it's a very recognizable pattern, in, at least in, in meridian therapy and Japanese acupuncture, where cold feet, stiff shoulders, hot flushes, red face, headaches, uh, they all kind of belong to this deficiency below excess above pattern. So yeah, uh, just just hold her feet when she comes next time and get a, a sense of if there's any energy down there. It sounds like it's all going up up here. Of course, her work is um, really going to be congesting stuff up there. There's a lot of stagnation just because of the movement she's doing every day. Every day and holding her arms up. I mean, she's been at it 30 plus years. Oh, bless her. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think more about her work, then I think I would definitely do some local treatment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she'll love it. Yeah. Uh, well, let let me tell you this now. People love Ontake. I mean, you said all her friends are going to come. Once I started doing Ontake, my practice just got busier and busier because, first of all, I was becoming more effective because I was just getting better results. So that's that speaks in itself. And people always recommend you if you're effective. But secondly, people liked it. If you can imagine what's happening on different levels, uh, people are feeling this pulsation of heat. Their muscles are relaxing and they're hearing a metronome and they're smelling smoke. And all of those things are happening all at once. So there's a tick, 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 tick. And there's this kind of feeling of relaxation and there's a smell of smoke and there's this palpation going on on their back or somewhere else. And they're just, the whole body is sinking into a deep, kind of relaxed state um it's very powerful i'm just listening to you describe how it works and i'm like oh that sounds really good it's it's beginning to be fall here uh, where i live and and i could see how people would ju- you know because especially in the fall you've gone from all this hot summer it's really muggy here in St. Louis, so it's super humid. It's now getting dry and cold. And people are, you know, they get fussy when that weather change happens. Not to mention sick and, and all kinds of other things. I, this would be a great seasonal transition treatment for folks. One of the things that I did with Antaki was it developed a whole body routine. Um, some of your listeners will have studied with Stephen Birch and will have studied Shonishin. And in Shonishin, it's a kind of baby massage with a with a silver spoon or a rounded tool called an enshin. It's like a metallic, it looks like a metal lollipop. And you just rub it on the skin on babies and kind of infants and children up to the age of about seven. So you run you rub on the yang channels, particularly large intestine, and on stomach, on the yang ming channels and on the abdomen itself, and also on the back, on either side of the spine. Working on either side of the spine is pretty much universal to any kind of um, system of body work. Uh, If you think about shiatsu, they'll work along the back shoe points with their thumbs. If you think about um, tapping with um, a plum blossom needle, then they'll always recommend tapping on either side of the spine uh, until it goes red or until it bleeds. Uh, if you think about gua sha, they'll always rub on either side of the spine. So it's pretty much a given that if you're going to do a kind of holistic treatment, 
you should work on the back shoe points from top to bottom. Of course, with acupuncture, we're much more specific. We, we, we needle on the appropriate point. But when you're doing a bodywork treatment like Ontake, you're not really thinking about points. You're thinking about channels and areas. So you're not thinking, which points shall I do? You're just saying, oh, God, this looks a bit weak or, wow, this feels a bit tense. And you're just kind of going up and down that line. Yeah, I worked out a kind of a whole body routine, loosely based on Shonishin routine, but kind of Shonishin for adults with smoldering bamboo. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't love fire? Yeah, who doesn't love fire? I think my two vices of fire and water. (laughs) (laughs) That would be gin and tonic? (laughs) Cheers, yeah. Yeah, water with a bit of ice, yeah, and whiskey. Yeah, going back to autumn... I found that the whole body routine that I developed with Ontake, I, I don't use that much. There are some times that people come in and I really don't know what to do. And I'm just not sure what is the best acupuncture for them. Then I'll give them a whole body Ontake routine. And that just regulates chi and blood throughout the whole body. And sometimes that, that can be enough if I'm stuck and I'm not, you know, I'm not quite sure what the best thing to do. Part of that routine, I'm waving my hands in the air. Your, your listeners can't see that. Um, part of that routine is uh, working on either side of the spine, just tapping at bladder frequency, which is 112 beats per minute, and just working up and down and loosening up that whole area, uh, the, uh, the muscles on either side of the spine. If somebody wants to learn to do this, they're going to have to get a metronome and practice. They're going to have to get a metronome. Um, They can go to YouTube. There's a lot of videos, training videos on YouTube that you can follow. So you can figure out how some of this stuff is working. Mm -hmm. Now, are these, when you say there's training videos, is this work you're putting up or is this other people? uh, There are some other people now, but mostly it's me. It's mostly Um, you. So you have, so you're a YouTube channel. I have a, shall I say, shall I say what it is? It's called the, the Ontake channel. So if you just yeah. type in, yeah. <laughs> Oddly YouTube. enough, it's the Ontake channel. Yeah. So uh, you can type in youtube.com slash the Ontake channel and you'll, you'll get there. As long as you spell channel correctly and don't say Chanel, you'll be fine. <laughs> That's a different kind of smell. That's it. Yeah. I've divided it up into sections. So there's kind of Ontake basics. And I think there's some training videos I did um, in 2013, which talk about all the different kind of tapping techniques and kind of manica's frequencies. And then there's some stuff about me teaching this in Japan. Um, So there are some videos where, uh, yeah, I'm teaching groups in Japan. And um, you're teaching Japanese. I teach in English, and it gets translated. Right. Uh, No, but I mean, you're, you're teaching Japanese people. Yes. So you've got this really cool moxa technique that you got from Japan. You've put your own twist on it because it, you know, was exactly the thing that you've been looking for all these years. And now you're taking it back to Japan and saying, check this out. That's pretty much how it's been. I actually got asked to do a two hour presentation at a Japanese university in Tokyo, which was great because I had like nearly 60 students and it was really yeah that was really something i thought wow this is this is cool it's like it's kind of an exciting feeling when when you're teaching japanese oh man i mean talk about full circle it's 
I mean, I think it goes to show, too, how over the years the medicine of Asia has come to the West. How do we know it's actually happening and developing here in the West? Because some of us, like you, have been able to take put your own unique point of view on it, learn to get clinical results, and then bring it back to where it came from and say, here's another, what do you think of this? Here's another way to do it. And we get to make our contributions as well. Well, I think it's interesting as well is that Manaka was really famous when he was alive. He was well known throughout Japan. He had outstanding results. He had his own hospital and clinic, and he had a big team of people working with him. And he published a lot of research papers, a huge body of research in Japanese. I mean, for the, for the 80s, he was really very well known. He passed away in 1987, and somehow his legacy crumbled and has really been kept alive by uh, teachers in the West. Yeah, Stephen Burt still teaches a lot. There are other people. Uh, Brenda Lowe teaches Manica in the US. Um, uh, Marion Fixler in the UK. Paul Mavsessian in Australia. So there are people still teaching his stuff. But in Japan, there are only people who studied with him who've kind of gone on to develop their own thing. But it's like his his whole work with Manica's wooden hammer and with the frequencies. I wouldn't say it's been lost because it's been preserved in the West, but it's just not been perpetuated and people don't study his stuff when they go to university they don't they're not there isn't a semester all about dr manica's work which there absolutely should be because he made acupuncture come alive he researched so many basic concepts about channel flow and was able to demonstrate a whole load of assumptions in the neijing that we just take for granted he was able to say well look this works this doesn't work this works mostly so, I mean, like the Chinese clock, for example. Uh, he did some fascinating research uh, into urine flow at different times of day, according to the Chinese clock, for example. Tell me more about that. I think it's in his book, uh, Chasing the Dragon's Tail. He just started um, monitoring uh, patients' urine flow according to the Chinese clock and to see when there were peak hours or when different things seemed to come into effect more and he was able to say well it looks like nine out of 12 of those times seem accurate uh, i think there were some meridians where he didn't feel that he had any clinical he could kind of demonstrate any sort of correlation but for i think some most of them he did and he was very very research oriented so things with channel flow we talk about four channel sets don't we we say chi moves from the lung channel to the large intestine channel at the finger and then it moves up to the head and then it skips across to the stomach and it flows down to the feet and then it jumps over to the spleen and it comes back into the chest where it started at the lungs so that's a four channel set so he did very interesting work with magnets basically trying to see what relationships there were within a four channel set and i know mark seam um he wrote a book about, I think it was called A New American Acupuncture, and he talked a lot about four-channel sets, but a lot of his work comes from Manica, who had done this research. And he basically said, when you needle a point on the lung channel, you also affect muscular tension on the other three channels within the set. So it's like one super channel. And then 
the flow jumps from there to the heart, small intestine, bladder, kidney. So then that's another four channel set. So when you needle the heart, you're also affecting those other three channels on the four channel set. It's such a, the same thing with pericardium. Right. Well, you're really looking at the, the Oqing, you're really looking at the relationships between um, the six great channels, right? You got to, you got to tie in with the Yang Ming, you've got the Xiao Yin with the Tai Yang, and then of course, Xiao Yang Zhi Yin. That's right. So you're getting these internal external pairings and you're getting these six channel pairings and they're all within a four channel set. And they can be used clinically. So if you want to, you know, if someone's got stomach problems, then you can you can treat on large intestine or you can treat, actually, technically you can treat on lung. Uh, it's very interesting, the, the work he did. And he did work with magnets and uh, the front mu points. So putting a positive magnet, a north magnet on one point and a south magnet on another and showing how that would soften the front mu point for that related channel and then switching them over and showing how the front move point would get tight and reactive. So very interesting experiments, which make acupuncture theory not just theoretical, but pragmatic. Right. I mean, come alive and, I, I love the word that you just said, pragmatic. It's not just theoretical, it's pragmatic. Well, I think this is a, a distinguishing feature of Japanese acupuncture, and also of Zen Buddhism, which is a kind of pragmatism where what you do in daily life trumps theory. Stephen always tells me a story when he was studying with Dr. Manica, and he, at the, he said when he was younger, he was very heady and very mental. He had this theory about the I Ching, and he was talking all about this theory on the I Ching and acupuncture and I Ching and this and that. And Dr. Manica was nodding very politely. Actually, you can see this on YouTube because I interviewed Stephen so you can hear him telling the story himself. But to, to, to cut a long story short, he was, Dr. Manica was nodding very politely as Stephen was banging on about his theory. And then he said, okay, um, Toshi, can you lie down on the table and take your shirt off? And Stephen, can you show me your theory on Toshi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so pragmatism always trumps theory in Japanese acupuncture. So... For example, in Toyohari and Meridian Therapy, the tonification point for the spleen channel should be spleen 2, which is the fire point. But nearly always, spleen 3 is used instead. I mean, that's not five-element theory. The earth point is not the tonification point. But when you ask them why in Toyohari or in Meridian Therapy, they say, um, because it works better. Yes, I love that. <laughs> So it's as simple as that. So, so pragmatism trumps theory. That, that's really a distinguishing feature of Japanese acupuncture. Well, I so, think I it's mean, the, the distinguishing feature of a successful acupuncturist. Yeah, maybe it is. Well, I, I think yeah. it is because if you are in your clinic and you're working with your theory and it's like, I'm doing everything according to the theory, but your clinical results aren't so great, you can have as much fun with your theory as you want. You're not going to be very busy. Whereas if you're getting results, well, you know, they're going to send their friends and family and everything else. So, yeah, there, there's kind of a sweet spot. I mean, I know for myself because I'm kind of intellectual. I, I love the theory stuff. It's, you know, it's fun to play with mental models is what it comes down to for me. But what's even more 
interesting is watching people get better and then trying to figure out, okay, what just ha- what's actually going on here? I mean, I know th- these days, if I'm having trouble with a patient and I find myself thinking, well, according to the theory, I should, you know, X, Y, Z, that's when I know I am completely lost and I need to start over. Because the theory might guide us, but it, it's not what gets us the results. What gets us results is paying attention in the moment and seeing, seeing if we can understand what's actually happening in this person. For me, I think it's about the line of least resistance. I mean, for example, I've studied TCM and I practiced TCM for 10 years. And then I studied uh, Manica style acupuncture and then I studied Toyohari. And sometimes they had a patient and it's just so obvious what I need to do from a Manica point of view. But from a Toyohari point of view, I'm not so sure. Is it, is it a spleen show? Is it a lung show? I'm not sure. So why would I waste time trying to figure out which it is when it's really obvious from a Manica point of view? Or... You know, why would I waste time doing manicure acupuncture when it's just so obviously a TCM diagnosis of liver fire blazing, for example? Um, so, you know, sometimes if, if, the, if the diagnosis is obvious from a different system, then, then that's the one I'm going to go for. And that's pragmatic. So it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to force myself to say, I must do Toyohari today. And I, every patient, I'm going to do Toyohari because that's the way it is. I mean, I'd like to sometimes because it's good practice, but sometimes I see someone you know, you know, today, she was just so obviously a Manica diagnosis. And I thought, well, you know, I'll do Manica. Why shouldn't I? It's obvious. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they were feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. This to me is, again, one of the real joys and deep frustrations with the medicine that we practice. And that is, we have some very different models that we can work with. And they often don't have much to do with each other. But if you're fluent enough with some different perspectives, then, I mean, I've had the same experience. Someone walks in, you kind of look at them, you talk, you, you get started and you go, oh, this is that. We're in this realm of East Asian medicine. I've got a, there's a wonderful tool called Monica style acupuncture that, you know, I can use for this. Or someone walks in, you go, oh yeah, that's a, you know, TCM thing or, you know, whatever, you know, Dr. Tom balance thing, whatever. It's like, there's these different 
perspectives and lenses that have treatments that go with them. And, and when you recognize that lens, oh, this is that, yes, you can follow that least line of resistance. And, and it's very elegant and simple then. Mm, I think so. I think as long, as long as you don't tie yourself in knots and say that you must view your patients in this particular way, uh, if, you, if you can be flexible, I think you can be much more effective. Mm-hmm. You have to go both broad and deep to be able to practice that way. A long time ago, someone said to me, do you want to be a bush or do you want to be a tree? <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But what he meant was, do you want to grow out sideways and learn lots of different therapies and different things? Or do you just want to do acupuncture and grow very tall? And I thought that was a really interesting model for me because I, I had found myself kind of dabbling in a bit of this and dabbling in a bit of that. But when he said that, I thought, actually, I don't want to be a bush. I want to be a tree. And that's what I've been this last 30 years. I've been a tree and I've just been developing acupuncture and moxibustion. And that's pretty much all I do. Yet within being a tree, as you said, you have these different ways or uh, of expressing yourself or seeing the world. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it was a very interesting question for me. Formative. Yes. Um, I want to circle back for a moment to my hairdresser patient with the shoulder. I was thinking about her too. <laughs> <laughs> Glad she's been with us on this conversation today. So I'm, I'm totally psyched about checking her belly. Um, and her feet. And, and I've got a good sense of what to do with that kind of thing. But for some local treatment, you know, this, this is a gallbladder issue, maybe triple warmer as well. So I think it's a shallow, let's call it a Shaoyang issue. Well, yes and no, because small intestine will be involved as well with the traps. You know, you've got these three parallel lines just above the spine of the scapula. You've got small intestine, then you've got triple burner then you've got gallbladder so you want to kind of be tapping at all of them but interestingly enough gallbladder and small intestine have the same frequency which is 120 beats per minute so normally that's what i'll do i'll start off just tapping lightly or rolling lightly uh with the bamboo with the metronome set to 120 beats per minute and i'll see whether or not they soften and if you tap percussively with the mouth of the bamboo facing downwards so that you're uh, tapping with the kind of with the burning end uh, the moxa won't fall out if you packed it correctly it won't fall out so you just tap lightly with that as if you were sprinkling salt on fish and chips that's a very english analogy yeah yeah no that, that that's great so that is lightly yeah okay and just tap on one side for about five or ten seconds and then feel it again uh, and you might find that there's some softening. And if there's some softening, you can just roll a little bit deeper and see if it softens a bit more. And by then, if you're lucky, if Ontake works for you as it does for me, it's time to move to the other side. It will be that quick. It will take about 20 or 30 seconds max. Now, sometimes you find that 120 beats per minute doesn't work, that you find that it softens at the front or superficially, but deep down, there's this kind of deep, still core of tight tissue. And that means that triple burn is involved. So what you can do is you can change frequency to 152 
and then just do exactly what I described before. Just tap at one five two and see whether that works. So you see the triple burner is being deeper in the body than the gallbladder? In this area, yes, I would say so. It's the stubborn one. It's like 120 usually releases the shoulders, but sometimes when it doesn't, it's because you haven't addressed triple burner. I mean, I've never tried doing triple burner first and then seeing whether I have to change to 120 because because 120 will cover small intestine and gallbladder, so I might as well treat two channels at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back to line of least resistance. Yeah, that's it. Another thing is sometimes when trapezius is tight and doesn't release, you can roll the bamboo literally all over the shoulder blade, the scapula itself, uh, in the subscapulous uh, hollow uh, fossa. Uh, and if you just roll in there at 120 beats per minute, which is small intestine frequency, it may release that remaining tightness in the top of the trapezius. So that's the local treatment that I would do. And then I would change frequency to 112 and work my way uh, down the bladder channel on either side of the spine in maybe from T1 to T7. And that's really my upper back treatment. Mm-hmm. And it takes you five minutes, seven minutes? Um, maybe not as long as that. I think to do the upper back in about three minutes. Working from the top of the traps to the toes, when I'm doing my kind of whole body routine, it takes about 10 minutes. So it's very quick. I mean, it's, you know, bamboo is deceptively powerful. I mean, it feels nice, you know, you're tapping away. Well, you mentioned that you've got this YouTube channel. I think what I want to do is sit down and watch it with my wife. (laughs) Okay, yes. Because she's a massage therapist. She's a massage therapist. She does cupping and gua sha, I mean, you know, all that good stuff. And I'm thinking, I want her to learn this so she'll do it on me. (laughs) You will have your Ontake moment. Uh, Everyone does the first time. They just go, wow, this is so relaxing. I was teaching in Croatia last year, and I had no idea that Croatians were so, what's the word? Stroppy. (laughs) I mean, they they were just an aggressive bunch. I don't know if it's a, a result of having, you know, having the civil war when Yugoslavia fell apart, but they, they were all like argumentative. And I remember teaching the first technique, and I said, this is tapping, and it's just a bit like tapping as if you were scattering salt on fish and chips. And this guy goes, hmm, yes, but I would prefer to do it this way. <laughs> I was going, wow, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm here to teach. I've been flown in to teach, and there's this guy arguing with me from the very first technique that says his way is better. And, like, he's never come across on Taki before. And then there was, yeah, I mean, they were kind of argumentative. Uh-huh. Well, they just don't have 20... fish and chips. You might have needed a different <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. I'll tell you what they do have. They have a drink which is made from mugwort. It's made from wormwood. So it's like an, uh, a spirit which is m- made from moxa. <laughs> it's just fantastic. It's really amazing. It's, uh, anyway, they gave me a bottle as a reward, which was really nice. Yes. I'm, I'm somehow not surprised that you would take to uh, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, going back to the story, the first part of the morning is kind of theory and getting them to kind of load moxa and stuff. And there were lots of kind of arguments and questions and questioning and stuff. 
And then I got them all to practice working on each other's backs. And kind of the class started off with a kind of hubbub. And then, you know, there was all this murmuring and stuff. And then it just got gradually quieter and quieter and quieter. I said, okay, guys, now I want you to change over. Um, model is going to be the, the, the giver and you know, giver is going to be the receiver. And by this time, they were completely silent because the people who'd had the bamboo and they'd had working on either side of the spine, they were just so relaxed. And then there was no more argument after that. It was just, it was, it was very interesting. It's just the whole group dynamic changed once they started doing bamboo on each other. So I think once you get a piece of bamboo and you do it on your wife or she does it on you, you will have your ontake moment. Well, it's, you know, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I've, I've sort of shied away from moxa, um, you know, because of my it's lungs. It's not very smoky. No, 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 I, no I, I get it. I get it. It's not smoky. What I wanted to say was I, I've avoided moxa by and large for a long time. And now I find myself really being drawn to wanting to check this out and try it. I'm, I mean, I have, I've not had the experience, but I've had the experience of you talking about it. I've had the experience of you describing how you work with percussion and heat and attention and some touch. And, you know, I'm just like, that sounds really good. That sounds like something that I might want to explore a little bit more in my practice, it sounds really doable. One of the issues that I had with the rice grain moxa is as much as I love getting it, it takes a lot of practice to do it well. And, and so I've never gotten that good at it because I'm easily frustrated. So this sounds, this sounds super learnable. It is. It's actually quite easy. So um, that's, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, my friends tease me and say, oh, you are the Ontake master, but I'm the master of something quite easy. So yes, you're the master like, of the line of least resistance. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Have you done any of Dr. Tan's work? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So if you are a listener who is already very familiar with Dr. Tan's model of um, normal mirror, reverse mirror, uh, normal image, reverse image, which he describes in acupuncture one, two, three, then I've been writing a lot about what I call ontake one, two, three, which is a hats off to Dr. Tan. Basically, you can use ontake in exactly the same way. So if someone's got problems uh, in the lower back, you can use his five systems matrix and you can do ontake on the balancing channel. And it works spectacularly well for pain relief. I tend to not use all of his five pairings. I only use the three very simple ones uh, with Ontake, and they work very well. So internal, in, internal, external, six-channel pairs, and also uh, what he called clock opposites, what Dr. Manica called polar channel pairs, uh, using those pairs which are at the opposite end of the Chinese clock. It works amazingly well for pain relief and very, very quickly, and uh, it lasts a long time because you really change the muscle tone of the balancing channel. And um, it feels good. And it feels great, yeah. And people that might be shy about needles, uh, you, could, you could completely not use needles and be super helpful to folks. Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, I mean, people are always a little bit wary when they see you lighting the, 
on tacky with a gas lighter, but that weariness disappears within five seconds yeah. of you applying it to their skin. My, my patients are used to me lighting cotton balls on fire for cupping, so it's, uh, they're, they're, they're already somewhat inoculated. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do Japanese acupuncture to do on tacky. It's adaptable to any style of acupuncture or any style of body work. So there are a lot of shiatsu practitioners who come to ontake workshops and then take it away and use it as an adjunctive treatment. So you really don't have to kind of change your system or your approach with your patients. This is just something that you add on. And for the most part, it's not a root treatment. It's a symptom. It's a branch treatment. So it's something that you put in in the last five minutes of your treatment, or maybe it's something that you put in the first five minutes of your treatment. But it's just something that you can, that can augment what you already do rather than being something that you have to kind of retrain yourself for. So it's, it's very beautiful and it's adaptable, you know, and anyone can use it as long as you know where the meridians are. Well, if you're an acupuncturist and you're listening to this, you probably already know that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Great. So again, you've got this YouTube channel. I'm going to put that on the show notes page. So y'all listening to this right now, you can just pop over and click on that and uh, learn a thing or two. Warren, it sounds like you teach all over the place. Do you have classes coming up? How would people find out if they want to come and learn in person? I'm raising my hand here, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm like status quo. The, the British group, they were really famous in the UK, but they never broke into the American market. <laughs> Sorry, that shows my age. Uh, so far, I haven't taught in the US. I've taught in South America. Uh, I was in Brazil just uh, a few months ago. So far, I haven't taught in the US. So if there's anyone listening to this show who would like to organize a, an Ontake workshop, then they can contact you or they can contact me. That would be great. Okay. Um, so, so for now, they have to go to YouTube unless they want to go to Brazil or Great Britain. Are you teaching in Malaysia? I mean... I've taught in Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, uh -huh. um, Croatia, Spain, yeah. <laughs> uh, South America, okay. Israel, uh, UK. So is, oh, my God. Um, next, next one is in France, I think, at the end of this month. Uh, end of... Yeah. Uh, end of October. Have you got a website with your schedule? Do you know what? I don't. You don't? Um, I don't know. I'm not that organized. I think if you do a search for sayoshi.com, sayoshi spelled S-A-Y-O-S-H-I.com, anything that I'm doing will be in there. Uh, so I'll, I'll create events in there. And sayoshi.com is a kind of directory for... Uh, practitioners of Japanese style acupuncture, and it shows a lot of teaching events happening worldwide. But uh, you can always go to the Ontake channel. Uh, sorry, to the there's an Ontake group in um, Facebook, and I think wherever I'm going, I tend to talk about it there. Okay, and then you can just sort of get the buzz from those folks. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to be an Ontake practitioner to join the group. You just have to be interested in Ontake. Okay, and um, not post stuff about other stuff so just well i thoroughly have enjoyed this conversation we need to wind it down because i need to go to the garden store now and go buy some bamboo <laughs> I, I was going to say one other thing though in terms of wanting to learn um i've just been in this process of completing my book 
and there will be a book about Onteke coming out. It's um, I'm self-publishing on Amazon, and it will be called Moxa in Motion. Ooh. Uh, When's it coming out? Uh, uh, well, I would say uh, in about six weeks. Um, uh, I've just kind of sent the files. They've been edited, uh, and they, I've just sent them up to be formatted. And the e-version will come out first, the Kindle version. And then I think I'll wait a few weeks and then uh, launch the paperback version. And there won't be an audio book in the foreseeable future because I just don't think it's the kind of thing that you can learn through audio book. Maybe you can. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think your idea with video makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of the ideas that I talk about are discussed in detail uh, in the book. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why I'm talking about them because they're so fresh in my mind. And by the time the book comes out, I'll have thought of something else that isn't in there. I mean, it's never going to be a bestseller because, I mean, gosh knows, you know, acupuncture books are, are not intrinsic. It's not really a big market. And then a kind of niche book within a niche market is never going to be a bestseller. But I think it's something that people who go on the workshops are going are gonna to want to read. And people who can't get to a workshop will want to learn it that way. And I think if you integrate that with the YouTube channel, it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lovely ecosystem out there for people to learn this. And the other thing that occurs to me is that while acupuncturists would, of course, be interested, any body worker, and that's a much larger market, might find that, oh, this is a really helpful adjunct to work that I'm already doing? I think so. I think that um, any body worker who's aware of the meridian pathways can use this system. But if you're a physiotherapist and someone gives you bamboo and says, okay, can you do trapezius at 120 beats per minute? You're really going to be doing it in a very roti way without really understanding. I think if you understand the channel pathways, then you can really use on Take in a very dynamic and interactive way. But if you're just a body worker without that sense of where the channels flow, that would be a, a little bit harder. Or you might learn something about the channels just because you're working and paying attention. It'll be curious to see who ends up buying the book, but I'm delighted to hear that it's coming out. And uh, again, we'll have links and everything on the show notes page so people can go get that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Michael. It's been a real pleasure to be on the show. I was actually a little bit nervous. I was thinking, what am I going to say? And <laughs> what am I going to talk about? But you're such a good host in bringing people out. I feel like I haven't stopped talking. Do you want to know what the secret is? Tell me. Okay, so here's the secret. I get a hold of people that are doing something really interesting. They know their stuff really well. I ask a couple of questions and then I shut the hell up. <laughs> right. I mean, people often ask me, what do I have to do to prepare for this conversation? And it's like, oh, only what you've been doing for the past 15 years. Right. Really. I mean, it's everyone on the show has something that they know deeply. And so there is no preparation. There's no presentation. This is not a class. This is just acupuncturists hanging out talking about what we do and what do we talk about? We talk about our clinical experience and our ideas about how things work. That conversation is endless. Fantastic. So thank you for, for joining me in this. And 
I'm going to go get me some bamboo and I'm probably going to have to be in touch with you for some help. Maybe we'll do a part two with this. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, it'd be fun. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you very much indeed. Good night. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.